Welcome to Education New Frontiers, a podcast about transformations in the field of education following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Zainab Chima. I'm a writer, an education enthusiast, and a professor at Florida Gulf Coast University. Today, we are joined by Ashley Grulick, a senior majoring in psychology and neuroscience at FGCU. Ashley is a star student who works closely with a number of professors. She's involved in the medical devices industry, the pedagogy and teaching community, and has served as a teaching assistant at FGCU. She's currently in the process of applying to graduate schools as a step towards achieving her lifelong dream of becoming a professor. Ashley, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Ashley, when I see you and the different things that you are involved in, I see someone who loves education. I read your bio when introducing you, but I want to hear your story in your own words. Tell us your story in education. Okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, Well, I originated from New Jersey and transitioned to the Florida system in high school. So it was a bit of a change of the dynamic of how classrooms were set up, but I adapted. And I always had a passion for science and writing. Actually, when I was younger, I imagined myself to be a scientist, but with my fear of heights, an astronaut was out of the look. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I stuck to just, you know, my projects. But um, I've always been an active student with clubs and programs and had a positive relationship with my teachers. Being in the classroom, being on a campus really brought me joy. It helped me connect with my community. And it was something that I I looked forward to on a day-to-day basis. Uh, When I began college, actually in Orlando, Florida... I fell in love with the classroom and the material and admired the role the professor took to engage the students and to think and communicate within that realm of their industry. I dealt with some personal challenges though, including depression. So though I wasn't a student and loved the campus, I I had my own sufferings. So my sophomore year, I told myself that I would just take one semester off, but like many, it lasted quite longer. And it wasn't until COVID hit a decade later that I use that as a pivot in my life and just decided to reinvest into my own passions within academia. So while learning more about opportunities and building connections, I saw that a PhD was a realistic path and it would help me enter into my own dream career of leading out my own classroom. That's really wonderful, Ashley. I hear you about encountering roadblocks and obstacles on the path towards realizing your life goals and dreams. Encountering those kind of roadblocks can often make your dreams stronger. It seems to me that this has given you the resiliency and focus that perhaps student at a younger age may not have. Absolutely. If anything, I feel that my my gap years have really transformed me into being a better student, a better leader, and has opened up opportunities for me as a student in undergraduate studies, uh, which are usually held for graduate students. So I've been able to show that I'm mature enough to handle those responsibilities. And it's just, it's led me to help build my resume toward, you know, my goal of getting into graduate school. Ashley, you were incredibly active in the Community for Teaching and Pedagogical Excellence here at FGCU. You've worked in the Student-Faculty Partnership Program, in which a student works as a partner to a faculty member, observing and giving feedback to their classroom teaching. Through this experience, the student also grows and becomes a better teacher. In your work for this program, who were the most effective teachers? What did they do and what did they not do? I would definitely say versatility 
is a character trait that goes very far, especially with COVID. Everyone had to make a shift to you know the virtual world, uh, but with COVID and the changing dynamic through technologies, you know students are learning differently. The world is different. People want to know that they are learning in the classroom has like practical applications to help solve the problems that we see all around us in the world. So they're looking for that guidance from teachers to help them find their own place in how to be a part of the solution. So knowing that each student learns differently, um, it's already talked about as far as learning styles, but it's also about how teachers teach differently in, in those different uh, environments. So online versus in the classroom, it was a reality shock for a lot of a lot of professors. What I was able to do was assist with the technology changes, you know, knowing a little bit about technology, I was able to help, but my partners were very open to challenging themselves to learn not only ways of using technology, but how students learn virtually. So that's been very helpful. So those those professors that were open to changing uh, their syllabi to make sure that the material is being learned in accordance to how it's being taught, it helped. And on the contrary, professors that didn't change anything in their syllabi and just kept it as if it was an in-person classroom, they saw challenges. So students not grasping that material and reaching out for help or in the worst cases, not reaching out for help and just sort of giving up on themselves. So those professors that knew that the students were there to learn, they were able to step up to that challenge and, and change their teaching techniques. That's a really powerful observation, Ashley, and it speaks to something near and dear to my own heart. As a professor who's had to navigate the changes that have come with the transition towards online teaching and mastering these different kinds of modalities and learning platforms, one question that endlessly fascinates me is the difference between online teaching and teaching in person. In your view, what are some of the biggest differences between the two? There needs to be more emphasis on feedback because, you know, as humans, we can see when someone's sad or angry or anxious in a classroom, perhaps. But online, you're not seeing those faces, not all the time. And, you know, those sleepy faces on Zoom calls, they don't count so much. So being ready to ask the students for feedback individually, if possible. I know it's hard on those huge classroom settings of maybe 75 plus, but if you have the opportunity to, you know, create a a little poll or a survey just to get some feedback from students and not just at the end of the semester, you know, ask early and ask often how students are feeling, how they're able to manage the material with not only what's going on in your classroom, but how is their load with the world, you know, are they, did they have to go back to work because of COVID and maybe a parent had, had lost a job or, you know, perhaps somebody in their family fell ill and they had to pick up even more responsibility or they themselves were ill. So there's a lot of things going on. So all that needs to be done is that communication to just keep everyone on the same page. And I feel that a lot of challenges we had, especially in the beginning, uh, could kind of be ironed out a bit with just reaching out and being that human being, you know, in the classroom. I really identify with that. I think you're right. The human connection is still the core of what makes learning magic. If you take that connection out of the equation for whatever reason, that magic is gone. Building off on that question, what transformations are you seeing in the COVID-19 classroom? 
For instance, what variations and combinations of in-person and online teaching are the most effective in your opinion? Yeah, so it went from one extreme to another in some cases. So some students who had never taken an online course were then faced with the challenge of learning online. But through that, some students, including myself, learned that we actually do thrive in that environment as long as there's enough resources available to learn the material. So when we came back to in-person classes, it was sort of ironic how students who were originally opposed to online missed that flexibility in their schedule. So when you come to a classroom, And let's say you have a PowerPoint presentation and you're reading from your slides. Students are realizing that they could do that themselves in their own home on their own time. So as long as there's that diversity in teaching where in the classroom there's a sense of activity and engagement, there can be that hybrid um, versatility as far as maybe one day a week you meet in person, you have those activities. And then the rest of the week, the students can have their own responsibilities of reading the chapters and reading the slides. So that hybrid classroom, I feel is going to be more popular in the future, um, especially for students who have more responsibilities with going back to work. That makes a lot of sense to me. It ties in with what you were saying earlier about the need for teachers to embrace versatility. On the flip side, though, what are some of the challenges of the COVID-19 classroom? During COVID-19, for instance, teachers were giving maximum flexibility to students on all aspects of classroom performance. Now, students are struggling with having to meet change expectations on things such as deadlines or classroom attendance. Has this been your experience, or do you think we should just look at this issue differently? I feel that, especially with technology, it could be a blessing but it can also be a crutch for students. I've seen in my own experience and, you know, through listening to all the birdies (laughs) that, you know, through the pandemic, when they were, and when all the students are online, they really leaned on technology and the access to it. You know, so when you're, you're taking a quiz online, you know, you have your phone right next to you that if you don't know the answer, you can just find it. Versus in the classroom, you have that pressure to study and to prepare and sort of memorize the material in ways. So what I believe needs to be done is that testing needs to be more than just memorization. There needs to be some application. And then that integrity needs to be um, held onto. So whether that be changing up the way that you test, not just quizzes online at home, but maybe in classroom experiences, that'll help the students and the teachers. Because how do we measure how well our students are learning if they're just home using Quizlet applications? Or in person, if they're just memorizing for a test on Monday, but then they forget it by Friday. So we're trying to figure out a way to just kind of mesh all that together. uh, So then the material sticks. And then when they look back, they can say, oh, I actually learned something in the classroom. That does seem to be the golden standard, right? To have students master the information and not just take a quiz and move on from there. That is part of the challenge. So Ashley, one of your dreams is to be a professor. I'd love to learn more about that. To give some context to my question, the National News Cycle has been covering the Great Resignation. Americans walking away from their day jobs and teachers happen to be one of the biggest demographics in that shift. So what does being a professor mean to you? Why do you still want to be a professor? Why is that still a part of the dream? 
Well, in the time I took off, I did have the opportunity to dive into different industries, you know, including healthcare, retail, and real estate. So very diverse, different parts of the map. Um, and within any of the roles I had, I found that the most joy was in some sort of teaching, you know, and teaching others and helping others like advance in their career or learn uh different procedures, learn how to sell, learn how to care for a patient, learn how to sell that property or learn the community. And one thing that I did not enjoy was that nine to five lifestyle of just sitting behind a desk. So I needed that diversity. And, you know, through all the different generations, you know, my mother's generation was very much, you find a job that has health insurance and you stick to it. So it doesn't matter if you're sad your bills are paid and you have health insurance. <laughs> Times are changing, you know? So people don't want to be exhausted on the weekends. They want to have the the energy to live their own life, live in their passion and feel that their role in the company that they're working for is having a bigger impact than just maybe making somebody else a profit. So now there's that transition into gig work, having multiple different types of responsibilities of not just the same thing, crunching numbers, nine to five, Monday through Friday. What I really enjoy about academia is that it's more than just a classroom. You have responsibilities with the university itself, um, administrative work. As a professor, I'm also interested in the research aspect. So I'm able to have classroom time, lab time, you know, service learning time, and working with different types of people, different services. And that really inspires me to, to build on my career and as my career grows, there's different doors that can open in any one of those windows. So that's something that's really pulling me toward academia. And there's also that sense of security that in all of the fields out there, you know, doors were closing. But at FGCU, at Florida Gulf Coast University, you know, there were challenges, but we kept our doors open. It's education. So there's always a future in learning and in growing and in helping invest in yourself and in others. And I'm looking forward to the next 50 years in academia. <laughs> amen. Amen. In my experience, if you have this much passion to achieve something, you're able to manifest it and propel yourself towards that dream. One thing that I find fascinating about you, Ashley, is that your profile crosses the divide between STEM fields and humanities. You're a student faculty partner, you're a research and teaching assistant here at FGCU, and you're very much involved in the medical devices industry. So how do you see teaching as having changed in the STEM and humanities fields, respectively, after COVID-19? Well, I keep pretty busy on campus, <laughs> as you can see. <laughs> And it's what really brightens my day is when I'm working in one department and I have a project that involves me working with another department that I happen to already be working with. So everyone is connected in one way or another. And even through COVID with people staying home and social distancing, people still need people. So wherever my weaknesses are, I can find that strength in others. Collaboration is at its highest, I feel. And using those different ways of technology to, to connect people is even stronger. Uh, so things like, uh, for example, in the medical device industry that I've learned of 
how many roles there are. Uh, I work with the, the College of Health and Human Services. I'm a teaching assistant for the dean there, Dr. Felton, in his medical device industry course. Originally, I was a student there, and it was wonderful how we managed the classroom in a sense that Arthrex, which is the leading orthopedic and research center here in Naples, Florida, uh, would have one of the representatives come into the classroom each week, someone from different departments. So every week we learned what their responsibilities were and how they got to where they were. And all the students who were coming from different backgrounds and had different visions of where they wanted to be in life were able to, at some point, see themselves in a role that was right down the street, was, was local. It's a community uh, company. So finding where you can be in the world and how you can connect with the other departments has been really remarkable. And we're just, we're just a big team, <laughs> you know, everyone's working together. <laughs> so it's been great. I love to hear that. And that ties in with something that's near and dear to my heart, which is the relationship between STEM and humanities. I hear you talking about leaning into your passions and building those relationships and partnerships. How does that translate to possible synergies between STEM and humanities? I would say uh, communication particularly with COVID and everyone doing quote-unquote research, which is just Googling, right? Everyone's Googling what's <laughs> going on in the world and what's the right thing to do. Do I go this way or that way? Uh, so especially in STEM and with writing in journals, there needs to be an emphasis on broadening the audience. Who am I writing for? I'm not just writing for other researchers and other people in STEM. I'm writing for your everyday American who's just trying to figure out what to do with their life or somebody in a different country who's interested in what we're doing here in the States. So that language, that communication, reaching different audiences is really important more than ever because people are looking for the answers and some of us are looking deeper. So we had that opportunity to relate the information to them in a way that they can understand. And that's our responsibility to communicate that. That is a beautiful statement of why STEM fields need humanities. On the flip side, Ashley, what do you think the humanities has to learn from STEM? Good question. So with humanities, and one thing that I love about neuroscience, particularly neuropsychology, is that blend on how do I feel and why do I feel this way? You know, it's it's more so than just, you know, I've experienced a trauma or a challenge. You know, there's something deeper going on. And maybe that something deeper is measure, something you can measure. So in the STEM field, we go out there, we measure, you know, and sometimes it could be cold and calculated. And in the humanities, it's very emotional. And it's that blend of how do we measure our emotions and when doing so, realizing that other people could be feeling the, that same way, that we're not alone in our feelings or in our behaviors. So how are we able to use science and use community, use the understanding of human nature and not only better ourselves, but better our community? That's really powerful, Ashley. And my final question to you, in your view, what is the future of education? 
practicality to kind of round it back to the beginning. It's, right. you know, how are we teaching students to lead their lives? You know, a lot of students, especially now with college not being, you know, the most affordable thing, <laughs> you know, students coming out with thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars in debt, wondering, like, did I make a mistake? You know, did this actually help me advance my career? Is this helping me put food on the table? You know, we want to make sure that what we're teaching them is something that they can bring into the everyday world, into a career. And that's what I love about the different resources on campus at Florida Gulf Coast University. You know, it's not just about passing your class. There's so many opportunities to, you know, do internships, get experience in the community, and really bridge what you're learning to what you can actually do in the future. Because that's what's going to excite people is realizing that education and getting a degree is just the stepping stone. It's not the end-all, fix-all for your life. It's it's a tool, it's a resource, and it's a community that's going to help support you in whatever your dreams are. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us here in this conversation on Education New Frontiers. It was wonderful to have you. I'm so excited to see all the wonderful things that you are going to be doing in education, STEM, and humanities going forward. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. I appreciate this.